0: This is Alternate Take. I am your host, Danny Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, man, we went back on stage, man, and it was a fucking blast. Now, I'll preface it with this: this episode was actually done a while back. This was done in March, and it was with comedian Ruben Paul. He's an absolute fucking legend, man. The dude kills. Um, but when we did our episode, we had the most technical difficulties of all time, man. You can ask him yourself. It was a fucking nightmare. I don't know what the issue was that day, but. I'm in a lawsuit with fucking Verizon now ever since. It's fucking pissed me off. But I met Ruben a week before our interview. He performed at the Microsoft Theater with George Lopez. And uh, it was really cool. I got to meet him backstage. um, And just such a fucking cool dude, man. The most down earth guy you can possibly meet. Very humble and a hard worker, man. So he said yes to the interview, man. And it was a great fucking time. But I've been sitting on it for a while because it really was like hard to listen to when I first started editing. I was like, God damn, dude. Like, such good shit. But... It's fucking cut off here, cut off there. I had to like go back and edit. So I did my best to put something together for you guys, especially this week because I didn't have an interview this week. It was super busy. So I thought this would be the best week to put that interview out. Um And Ruben's just a fucking awesome guy, dude. He has a show every Tuesday at the Laugh Factory called Ruby Tuesdays where you can see your favorite comedians. And it's just, it's, a, it's insane, man. Anyways, I don't want to butcher the interview, man. I want you guys to hear the great wisdom of Ruben paul so without further ado i bring to you the great comedian Ruben paul alternate take what's up man we are back dude we brought you guys one of the best comedians in the game mr Ruben paul how you doing sir i'm good how you doing brother good man it's wednesday it's not fucking tuesday yes it is wednesday <laughs> it's wednesday and i'm doing all right man can't complain man let's uh let's get this started man um i saw your stand-up for the first time Oh, at the microsoft okay. theater where i met you which you're very yes. kind very cool and um fuck man i was i was extremely impressed extremely impressed seen oh, a lot you. of comedy. yeah of course i've seen a lot of comedy over the years and uh i mean to kill that theater is just a whole nother animal in itself but before we get to those crazy accomplishments let's get to the the beginning of Ruben paul let's start with your humble beginnings and where you grew up and all that good stuff man
1: well i'm i'm, I'm born and raised in, in los angeles um uh Carson, California, specifically. I grew up in Delamo. I went to Banning High School in in Wilmington. Uh, My parents were originally from Haiti, as you might have heard when I did the show at Microsoft. But um, I'm the only person in my family that was born in the U.S. So um, working the Microsoft Theater uh, with George um, in in front of a sold-out crowd in your hometown was just uh, a blessing. And it was awesome. And it was the Biggest crowd I have ever performed in front of in Los Angeles. So that was uh it was great. It felt like a home game.
0: It seemed like you had a lot of people there that are there for you, man. I I can definitely tell. Uh Carson, man. Carson, that's interesting, dude. Carson's a ghetto ass city, man. It's a cool place.
1: <laughs> but it's funny, a lot of people don't know it's the hood. I mean, it has its good parts and bad parts, just like like any city. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, that's that's where I'm from, man.
0: Absolutely, man. Well, you know, it's got a it's got a good mix of everything. That's what I like about it. There, man. I have a friend who's a uh, who's Filipino, man. I, you walk around his house, you can't even say one bad thing about Manny Pacquiao. They'll fucking kick your ass. Oh, out. Yeah.
1: oh yeah. Well, see, what's funny about Carson? What people don't realize uh, is it's pretty segregated. Like you got your Filipino part. You got your uh your Mexican part, you got your black part, you got your Samoan part, and it's all in one big, big city, you know, which is which is great. So when people go you from Carson, they go, Oh, you grew up around a lot of Filipinos, like, yeah, technically, but Delama was like, you know, all black pretty much when I was when I was growing up there. And then you go over by Carson High School, that's where all the Filipinos and Samoans were. <laughs> then you go by, you go by the uh Dominguez College, that's where all the Mexicans are. So it was just uh, one of those things. And it just gave me a very diverse upbringing too, because I've had to interact with all different types of people throughout my whole life.
0: I was going to say, I'm sure that that helps your comedy tremendously, man. If you have friends of all different backgrounds, that's 10 different cultures you're talking yeah. to. Do, you know what I'm saying? You're just getting funnier and funnier and, and you're getting, you're pushing the boundaries more. And as long as you're friends, you can say any kind of joke to each other. And you're like, Hey, let me try this bit out for you. Let me see if it's too edgy or whatnot, or whatever.
1: Yeah. And, again, and I think it just gives you a honest perspective because if I'm on stage talking about Mexicans or Filipinos or white people, those people from that culture can tell if it's authentic or not. Are you just are you just regurgitating a, a stereotype? When I talk about Mexicans, I could talk about them in a way because my high school was predominantly Mexican. You know, I grew up we around a lot of Mexicans and, you know, when my parents would go to different churches, we'd go to Spanish churches. My father was a, a missionary. My mom spoke fluent Spanish. So and even hanging around with white people or whatever. So when I'm on stage, I just want to be as authentic and honest as possible with my comedy. And that's my main focus. Like sometimes you hear people talking about race and you'd be like, mm, he's never hung out with a Mexican before you <laughs> can kind of tell, or he's never hung out with a white dude before he's just basing it off of things that he's heard over the years, but not any real honest interaction.
0: Yeah, dude, absolutely. That's, and that's what I notice on your stand up, man is, it was, you can tell when someone's bullshitting, man. You can definitely tell when someone's just using bits. And don't get me wrong. I like bit comics, too, who can just tell yes. bits and it gets some, like, a, kind of some raw material out there that's just kind of, like, catch value. I like that shit, too. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a place for everything. But um, when it comes from a place of experience, when it comes from storytelling, that shit is just killer, man. So um why don't you consider start doing comedy, man? I know you said you went to Banning High School, which, again, friggin' pretty crazy high school man um was, yes. it, was, it, there?
1: was it was it uh well, after or when well i had always wanted you know wanted to do comedy but where i came from i didn't know any comedians i didn't know how to become a comedian i didn't know anything and then um i went to long beach state and i was taking theater class and uh, cuz i've always been interested in like acting and comedy and just just the arts and my my acting teacher goes have you ever thought of uh, doing comedy. And I'm like, what are you trying to say? I'm a shitty actor. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, no, no. He's like, he's like, uh, he's like, I think you can have a career in this business as an actor, but he says, uh, you just have a way of making things funny. Like you always have a humorous take on something. And I go, well, actually I was thinking about doing comedy. So that was like one of the first times I said it out loud to somebody to hear it. So it kind of just stuck into my head. And then I used to go to the, when I used to go to the barbershop and get a haircut. One of the barbers was there and was like, yo, man, you should do comedy. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. He was like, I know a place you can go. And I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he, he, he told me this place. Um, I wasn't 21 yet, but as soon as I turned 21, I, he, he told me the place to go. It was this place in Long Beach called the Birdland West. It was like a jazz club. And they had a comedy night on Tuesday night. And I went to this comedy night and, and you got to understand, as far as black comedians go, I just knew Bill Cosby, Richard Pryor, Dick Gregory, Flip Wilson, just the people you saw on television. Right. So I go to this I go to this this place, man. It was packed, all black <laughs> and the black and, and, and every comedian was black and every comedian was hilarious. And it blew my mind. I go, wait a minute. There's comedians outside of Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby and all the famous ones that are actually hilarious (laughs) and doing comedy. And it just, it was shocking because I came from a very, I guess, insulated, you know, upbringing, you know, no one, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know anyone who could get comedy. So it kind of blew me away and gave me a lot to think about. So I remember leaving and I told him, I go, I went, he's like, what'd you think? I was like, dude, I saw this guy. I saw that guy. I saw this guy. He's like, yeah, man, those guys are illegal. I'd never heard or seen any of these guys before. It took me probably another two years after that before I kind of got the courage and things kind of happened in my life where it was like, you know what? It's either, you know, you do it or you don't like get off, you know, should or get off the pot? And I went down to, uh, he, he got me a, a five minute spot and I went down there and I did my five minutes and, uh, that was that was the start of it and uh Hughley was the first comedian i'd ever seen perform live so he's one of the comedians that i that i saw and was like who who is this guy <laughs> but it just wasn't him like everybody on the lineup was 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 dope and uh birdland was a staple in black comedy for years
0: wow wow yeah it's funny man i, I we just had on a comedian uh, jay mandy I'm on the show oh and i know Jay. <clears throat> yeah yeah i figured yeah. um and he was telling about his you know relationship with dl and And I told him how, when I met, uh, DL, well, I didn't meet him, but the first time I saw him perform was in, was in Long Beach at the Long Beach convention center. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was him. It was, uh, I always forget the big, the big fucking dude. He's always with them. Big dude, long dreads. Um, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super fat dude. But like funny as shit. Forgot his name.
1: Oh, oh, Bruce, Bruce. Yes.
0: Bruce, Bruce. Um, yeah, It was, uh, Gary Owen was headlining and it, it was like, dude, this is just a whole, I think, I think I probably was the only Mexican there. I didn't even give a shit. It was probably the, one of the best shows I've ever fucking seen in my life, man. And then you just, when you see a show like that, dude, it makes you realize how many levels there are to this dude, because, um, and that's why I mentioned like your prowess and how good you were, because, you know, everyone has the biggest fear is, uh, or the, at least the most common fear is public speaking, you know, and going up there and basically showing your insecurities. Yeah, and if no one doesn't laugh, man, that's a that's a huge fucking bummer, you know. It really it can really fuck you up. There's people, there's people out there that would rather do like, you know, the craziest jobs in the world, rather be a, like a police officer and get shot at and, and live and risk their lives for then go on stage and tell a few jokes, man. So um how yeah, do you maintain
1: oh go ahead. It's, I think this is one of those things for me where you know it's it's when preparation meets opportunity. And like you said, when you're coming up and you're you're doing spots and you're working on your craft, it prepares you for the Microsoft Theater and all these other bigger venues and all these opportunities, whether it be television or whatever. It's like, you know, thinking of basketball, you think of Kobe Bryant. The reason why he doesn't get nervous when he gets to the free throw line is because he's shot, you know, over 100,000 free throws in his life. So it's just it's just repetition. So my whole mindset is I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to get on stage and tell my story in front of a a large audience. And hopefully as time goes on, I believe as time goes on, my audience will get bigger and bigger and I'll get to express myself um, and they get to know me on a a deeper level through my comedy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it drives me nuts when someone uses the excuse of like, well, one, they're just lucky, or two, they're just super talented. I'm like, no, man, it's, it's none of that. It's all, That's all bullshit. Whoever, that's just you being lazy because that dude has done, I don't know how many open mics. I don't know how many sets. I don't know how many, t- like, yes, maybe he'd be naturally funny a little bit. Yes, I'm sure there's part of that, but of that doesn't mean shit. There's so many people that can tell jokes around their friends and be the funniest person in the world, but can't go on stage and do what you do. So you're right. It is opportunity. Yeah. Meeting um, all, all that hard work. Absolutely.
1: And I think, you know, really when other comedians worry about other comedians is like, to me, that's the issue of, of comparing yourself to someone else. And comedy is subjective, man. It's all based on opinion. And I think, I think for me is I just try to focus on myself. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are, who are hugely successful, but I never let that make me feel like I'm a lesser comedian just because they might be more popular. People hit at different times. You know, I think what's if you focus and stay in your lane and and, and focus on your journey, whatever is going to happen is is is, is going to happen and it's going to happen when it's supposed to happen. So, you know, you see a lot, a lot of times in the industry, we're like, man, how did that dude get that man? That dude, man, he, you know, it's, it's always something, but you could you should use that energy and put it on yourself. And that keeps you from getting bitter. That keeps you from hating on other people and just focusing on, you know, what you're trying to do. And I'm not saying it's 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 easy to not look at somebody else and go why them and not me but i think if you want to be healthy if you want to you know make it with the right mindset i think just understanding that you know my journey is different than their journey and i'm going to keep grinding and keep performing and keep doing what i love until i achieve all my goals and dreams
0: yeah absolutely it's like a, I can i compare it to like playing baseball or something like there's there's Mike Trout on the angels and everyone knows who the fuck he is, but probably no one knows like their third or fourth right-hand reliever from yeah. the bullpen. But that's like him going, why doesn't anyone know me? Like, Hey dude, you're getting paid to pay professional baseball, man. You're living your dream. Who gives a fuck if no one knows you.
1: Exactly. You know, exactly. You
0: know? Be grateful. You're having a good time, man. You worked hard for this. You got to where you got to. And if you're yeah. getting extra fans, great, you know? And if you don't, well, at least you're still living your dream, you know?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, That's sometimes hard for for people to do is to just approach each day with some type of of gratitude. Because, of course, you know, you might have goals and dreams and aspirations and you might not be there yet, but you should be grateful for where you are now. And it took me a a minute to understand that, because sometimes you go, oh, man, if I don't have a, a television show, if I don't have a big movie career, then I'm not successful. And then one time this veteran comic told me, he goes, look, man. He goes, do you have a day job? I go, no. And he goes, how long have you not had a day job? I was like, I can't remember, like shit, over 20 years. And he's like, you're a success, dude. <laughs> like, don't let anybody tell you that you're not successful. You do comedy for a living. You pay your bills and you live the life, you know, just all from, from your, your, your art, from your craft. So be proud of that and keep striving for, for bigger things that you, you desire, but you know, I'm grateful for where I am and I'm excited for where I'm going.
0: I love it, man. Um, Tell me about your, uh, your upbringing and like uh, as a Haitian, because you're, you said you're first generation, right? Yes. So uh, my, my folks, they're first generation Mexican, but I know for first generation kids, there's yeah. a lot of pressure wow. and just um, kind of conforming like, Hey, get a job. And get some security, like that's why we came here, so our kids can have an opportunity to 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 sign up to be a fireman or or to whatever. But get a job and you know, basically, you know, stick to the fucking script. (laughs) In other words, you know. Well, Um,
1: well, I'll say this. uh, You know, being first generation, it, it was. I think my situation is a little unique because most Haitians, when they come to this country, they'll go to either you know Florida or New York or Boston, or even in Montreal, like there was no Haitian community in Los Angeles when I was living here. And that's one thing. And I even say this in my act, I, that was one thing I, I used used to be a little jealous of Mexican people, because you guys find yourselves, whatever, whatever state that you're in, there's always like a Spanish part of town. You could be in, in Utah or Nebraska. There's going to be some street or area where all the Mexicans live, you know what I mean? And, and there was no such thing for me growing up, you know, in LA. Like, I couldn't find a Haitian anywhere to the point where when I meet other Haitians and they found out I was born and raised in California, how in the hell did California? Why did they go to California? And I go, well, you know, these missionaries came to Haiti, uh, they brought my parents to this country, and they happen to live in California. So that's where my parents came and settled in California. And then I was born once they arrived here. But the normal route is probably to go through Miami. And and like I said, the places on the East Coast.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, what? I always found like the whole being the only one person in a place to be like a positive thing, not a bad thing. I've never understood that. Like when people use that as like a like a victim thing. Like, oh, I'm the only one here. I'm like, that's, yeah. that's fucking opportunity for you to be the superstar here, man. Like, I just went to uh Jackson, Mississippi, uh like, about two weeks ago. I was the only Mexican there, and I loved every part of it. I was telling jokes they've never heard before. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it was fucking amazing, man. I loved it. They're like, look at you. And I was like, hey, man. Like, you know, it's like, to me, it's fun. I'm like, like, the only one. It's amazing. I think if you're comfortable in your own skin, you have a lot of confidence.
1: Um, But I think. I think you probably you grew and matured into that. Yeah, you know, I think when when I was a kid, you do feel like a fish out of water, and you you are trying to fit you know fit in and figure out your way, and how you just want to get along with everybody. You you don't want to be the oddball per se. And but like you said, as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate my experiences and what I've gained from being around different people. I remember being. Doing comedy in, in uh in Florida, I was in Fort Lauderdale, and this Haitian comedian came up to me. He was like, "Man, he's like you lucky you started in California." I go, "Why do you say that?" He goes, "Because if you'd have started doing comedy in Miami or you know or somewhere in Florida, your act would probably be just like ours because their their Haitian experience comes from being around other Haitians, being in the community. There's a familiarity there. With me, my comedy comes from." No one had any idea what the hell a Haitian was when I was growing up. You know, no one knew anything about our culture. You know, Haiti was a very, it was, it was, a, it was a country that you heard of, but no one really knew anything about it. Like if you say Jamaican, an image and a stereotype pipe pops into your head immediately. You say right. Mexican, an image and a stereotype pops into your head. You say African, an image and a stereotype pops into your head. Asian, you know, image and a stereotype pops. You say Haitian, it's like the hell is a Haitian you know and it it wasn't until the the one of the first when they had that first major earthquake is where it kind of brought Haiti to the forefront of America and people really learning more about the about the Haitian culture
0: yeah I I think the only thing Haitian I knew was a that scene in bad boys too where they're the bad guys with the AKs and shit yes (laughs) that's all all I fucking knew
1: I get that and I get get the uh white clef. You know, White <laughs> Clef is the only Haitian people know, you know.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Um, so where was the first place then you started getting uh like work besides open mics? Like when people started noticing you and you started uh getting your name out there and you started, you know, people started taking a you know a notice.
1: Well, I think uh after that open mic at the Birdland West, you know. A lot of the established comedians were very supportive. They're like, man, you're funny, dude. And they gave me a list of places to go. But the place that I got, you know, the start of my real, real, real comedy training was the Comedy Act Theater. It was uh, on Crenshaw and 43rd Street Uh, It was in the hood. And it was a great comedy club owned by a guy named Michael Williams. Uh, I don't know if you remember the comedian Robin Harris, but uh, Robin Harris helped build that he was you know he was the host of the comedy act theater and everyone in black hollywood used to go there it was like the place to be it was before my time i didn't start doing comedy until after robin harris passed away but he had left a legacy and established this place and when i went there lo and behold dl was one of the the hosts there and i just started doing spots there and the owner michael williams took a liking to me was very supportive and started giving me spots and encouraging me. I remember uh <laughs> I remember one time he invited me to his house. You know, I'm young. I'm like, what gonna try to fondle me or molest me or some shit. Like, why is this dude? I don't know this dude. Why does he invite me to his house? And I went to his house, he had a nice home, and he had all these videotapes on comedy from mom's Mabelie to Flip Wilson to Dick Gregory, and just really. You know, gave me an education on comedy and gave me valuable advice. Like, you know, if your punchlines were have a joke, you know, and just understanding the art of standup comedy and and really trying to become and and like really treat it like a craft and trying to become better and being serious about it. And I look back and I've run into them from time to time, and I'm so grateful. You know, um, for the opportunities you know, he gave me and just the fact that he took, took time to invest in someone like me who was, you know, a nobody at the time, you know what I mean? I was new in the game, but you know, he believed in me. And, um, you know, it's one of those things to be honest with you that even now on buying my career, one one thing that motivates me a little bit is, is making the people proud of me who have supported me from day one. And I, and I'm not saying they're not proud of me already, but you know, I want to get to a point where they like, I told you, I told you, I knew that guy was going to, I told you he was going to be big, you know, so that, that's a motivation, just a, just a a silent motivation that, that keeps me going. And I'm, I'm appreciative of everyone who's deposited anything in in my life, making me a a better person and a better comic.
0: Absolutely, man. You said something that, that really like, I was like, wow, that's very true, man, is um, how serious you take the craft. I, I, it's one of those weird things with comedy where for some reason, when someone does so much with their craft, someone can still sit in the audience and say, "I can do that." As to where, like Slash is up there ripping a ripping solo up. for Guns N' Roses, you're like, "I don't, I can never fucking do that." Exactly. You would never get that hubris to think like I can do that. Now, there's some kid out there who who does think he can do that, and he probably can. But for some reason, comedy people forget that it is it a isn't. craft.
1: Like, well, I I think it's because a lot of people are funny in 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 their environment. Like it's you know you know, being a class clown, you know what I mean? And and being the funny guy at work and being the funny guy amongst your friends, all that is great. And it's not that you're not funny, you're legitimately funny, but getting up on stage and doing stand-up comedy when people are expecting you to make them laugh. See, normally in real life, when you make people laugh, it comes out of a surprise. Like, oh man, that was hilarious. Oh dude, like you didn't expect the joke. They're just funny, like, dude, my boy is hilarious. But it's different when you, when basically what, what happens is when they introduce your name and you're a comedian that goes on stage, what you're basically saying to the audience without saying anything is, I'm funny and I'm going to make you laugh. That's pretty much what you're talking about. I'm up here and I'm going to make you laugh. Like that's a bold thing to, to do. And it's an art form in doing it. You know, it's, it's, it's a difference when people are expecting you to be funny than you just naturally being funny
0: yeah man for sure I, and i've read some books on it and i and it really makes you go deep into it. like i read that judy carter book a while back and i was like mm-hmm. damn this this breaks down some shit it really does and then it helps you study it when you actually see people perform like i think one of my favorite comics is like uh willie barcena and was oh,
1: my boy man
0: legend man absolute yeah. legend like a, yeah. a wor- awardsman to like a, a fucking legendary awardsman if you're gonna ever mention one like knows no, don't put that word here. Put it over here. You can tell mm-hmm. he's that kind of guy because absolutely. if you watch him break down his, his bits and it's just, it's his genius, man.
1: Yeah. And Willie is one of the only Latino comics period that worked the comedy act theater. And I remember seeing him going, yo, who was that dude? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was fearless, all black audience and he would come down to the comedy act and he would kill man. And, and then we became friends over the years and, Willie has always been supportive uh, of me. Um, You know, we, you know, a couple of times like we'd go right together, like meet me here. He was very dedicated and very disciplined um, in his comedy. And that's one thing I've always um, respected about Willie and liked about Willie. Um, It's it's one of the things that's that's kind of sad in this business is as all of us start becoming headliners and working and traveling and touring, we don't get to see each other as much as we used to you know, and I haven't seen Willie probably, I don't know. And and I think he, he passed by my show at the laugh factory, but you know, sometimes, you know, you go a couple of years without seeing somebody that you used to see on a weekly basis. Um, but, um, uh, Willie is great. And I always, you know, wish him the best.
0: Yeah. It's, it's those working in the <laughs> trenches days where you just don't forget that with people, you know, like it, oh, any job, any job. He's like, man, I remember I working you from the bottom, man. Now, you know, now we're at the top, but I, you know, hope, hope the family's doing well. All those good things, man. Um, Absolutely. I think one thing I wanted to touch on, too, was your show at the Microsoft Theater. I think the thing that I liked about it the most, man, was, um, like, I think anybody can just, I think it was a genius of George, too. I think anybody can do, like, the whole Disney woke thing. And like, all right, we're going to get a white comic, a black comic, and a Mexican comic, and we're going to thumb up there, and it's going to be diverse. Yeah, yes. yeah, Whatever, I get that. But if they're not funny, then who gives a fuck? And then now, now we're like, man like you just try to sell me on this thing that's just like trash like i if i yeah. want to see a movie with all that then make sure the actors are good and whatnot and then i'm gonna enjoy the movie yeah um your guys' show was killer brian callen murdered it yeah you murdered it and then george murdered it and i'm like this is what people want to see this you guys you guys were la on one show it was white black and black in one show and it was it was fucking phenomenal
1: yeah uh, well thank you man it's great and you know just touching on that every tuesday um at the uh at the Hollywood Laugh Factory called Ruby Tuesdays, it's, it's, it's named after after me, and I started I started this night for one reason because I think it's a lot of times as Black and Latino comics, we're segregated in all these mainstream rooms, like you know whether it be the Improv or even the Laugh Factory or any of these other clubs. There's always a Latino night. There's always a Black night. There's always a Gay night. There's always an Asian night and those nights are cool. And I think those nights are very necessary because if you don't have those nights, a lot of times we wouldn't get an opportunity to get stage time and do those things. But after years of doing it, you kind of realize that they segregate you. Like they only want you to work on those nights. And it's like, yo, I can make anybody laugh any night of the week. So I had a conversation with the owner, Jamie Masada, of the laugh factory. And he was, he, you know, encouraged me one day after a set. And he was like, You should start your own room, man. I said, Well, if I start my own room, you know, I want it to be truly diverse because I work black rooms, I work white rooms, I work Latino rooms, I work Asian rooms, I've done gay shows, I've done all types of shows. And I know all the best comics in all those scenes. So if I said, If I start a night, I can just pick all the best comics from all and put them on one show. And what it does is it gives people a different perspective. Like earlier in our conversation, you talked about being the only person of your race in a certain situation on how you embrace that. And I think it's cool when you maybe never seen a Mexican comic before and you come to Ruby Tuesdays and you're a white guy and go, wow, this dude is hilarious. I've never heard of him before. I've never even you know, seen them before. Or, you know, I always have women on my show because, you know, it's all guys and and you can feel it in the room when a woman comes up, you know, all the women in there go, oh, okay, somebody who has our perspective on something. It's refreshing. And I think, you know, a lot of times in in, in this business, people think that you only can make your specific race, race laugh. Like, everybody has the ability, like, you can, like, Seinfeld and Cedric the Entertainer at the same time. You could think they're both hilarious. You could think George Lopez and Rodney Dangerfield are both hilarious. You know, it's I think a lot of times they go black comic, black people, Mexican comic, Mexican people. And I do get that. And I do think it's important uh, for your own people to be able to relate to you. But also I think to get the bigger message out, to get your point of view out is great when you're exposed to a broader audience and performing with George to predominantly Latino audiences has been great because I think, like you said, a lot of people have never seen me before, have discovered me, you know, uh, opening up for him and they get to learn and see my perspective. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting than just the same old, perspective from the same you know point of view
0: yeah absolutely man. i couldn't agree more dude especially it doesn't it sometimes it's not even a race or gender it could be like this dude's from south dakota i don't know anyone from south dakota and his his whole south dakota humor is just fucking hilarious whatever he's talking about
1: absolutely i always say like like comedy is like good comedy it's like watching a movie like when you go to the movies you just you you take it for face value for what it is and at the end of it either you like it or you don't and I think for comedy, you just go up there and be yourself and either the audience is going to relate to it and or some people aren't going to relate to it. Like I said, comedy is subjective. And I just, I think like we talked about earlier in our conversation, the fact that I've been raised around so many different types of people, I caught it, my audience, my comedy is, is broad. And I think a lot more people can reflect, I mean, not reflect, uh, what's the word, um, What's the word was relate. They can relate to it, you know, because, because, you know, they can tell I've had those, those real experiences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Southern California upbringing definitely brings that out, man, because I I can honestly say I like like fucking friends. I like Friday. I -hmm. like, uh, what else? Fuck it. Don't matter. I like pineapple express. I like stoner comedy. I like fucking black comedy. I like Mexican comedy. I like fucking skater comedy, you know, I like all that shit. I like cheesy comedy, like sitcom comedy. I like it all. Yeah. It it adds it adds and, and to it's
1: a, and it's like funny is funny. So at Ruby Tuesdays, that's kind of like if you're funny, no matter what race you are, no matter what gender you are, no matter what your sexual orientation is, if you're funny, come get down, you know, <laughs> come with the best with the, with the best of the best. You know, that's and I've been blessed enough to have some of the best comics in the world you know, work, work, you know, do my show, you know, from George to Arsenio to DL to Cedric to Russell Peters, um, Chris Tucker, the list goes on and on. And I'm, I'm so grateful, um, you know, to the comedy community just in general um, that have come and supported the room and they enjoy the vibe. And it's just a very inclusive, dope vibe hosted by me uh, every week, every Tuesday.
0: Ruben Paul, what's next for you? Tell, tell me about your, your upcoming tour dates and all that stuff, man. Because like I said, man, I'm down to go see some more of your comedy, man. You, you had me
1: rolling. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. Well, you know, I'm uh, like I said, um, and other than doing my weekly shows, you know, I'm, I'm doing dates on the road with George and then doing some of my, my own dates. And then I'm just, um, you know, working on uh, some other things. I'm going to be shooting a special sometime this year. We're about to lock down a date to do that, have a company that's going to uh, produce it for me. And um, I'm just grateful to you know get the opportunity to ex- expose my comedy to a bigger audience. And uh, I used to get frustrated when people go, damn, dude, you're hilarious. Sorry, dude, I've never heard of you before. I've never seen you before. And when you've been doing it for a long time, you're like, damn. But then the flip side of it is, is it show, I'm still working hard, I'm still getting better, I'm still improving and people can still see me and I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity you know, to grow my audience.
0: Hell yeah, man. I love that brother. Ruben Paul, I promise you 30 to 45 minutes. We did 30 to 45 minutes, my man.
1: Awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks for having me, Danny. I I appreciate it, man. And um, I'm glad we got this done and uh, I'll do this anytime, bro.
0: Oh man, I appreciate it, man. We'll stay in touch. I'm going to go catch your shows 100%. Please do, man. You're always welcome. Thank you, man. Thank you. This has been Ultimate Take. We'll see you guys later. Peace. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with comedian Ruben Paul. Thanks for stopping in, Ruben. I really appreciate you, man. This shit was a blast. Again, my apologies for all the technical difficulties, man. That shit really pissed me off, but I did my best to edit it, and hopefully you guys enjoyed it, man. It was a hell of a time. In the meantime, all of you fans out there, man, I put all the links to Ruben's shit in my podcast description, so go check that shit out, including stuff like um, ticket sales to Ruby Tuesdays, his social media, uh, his own link tree. He's got a bunch of shit going on, man, and the dude's an absolute legend, so go check that shit out, man. Um, and again just thanks for tuning in guys this was a fucking great time and uh, I really appreciate it so uh, this has been Alternate Take I am your host Danny Rodriguez and I'll see you guys later peace